Acts chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. Acts 19, 1 through 20. Uh, your heading, it might say Paul in Ephesus. This is Paul's, uh, the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And Paul's uh, time in Ephesus, again, chapter 19 is wild. This week and next week, y'all are going to see some wild stuff in the text. Um, and it's pretty awesome. So uh, hear the word of the Lord. And it happened that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit um, when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing, notice this phrase, extraordinary. This was not ordinary what was about to take place here from here on out. This is not ordinary, all right? God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Wow, what a fun text. Well, fire, chaos, and sickness ensued as a carnival cruise ship carrying over 4,000 passengers had a fire erupt in the engine compartment and left this boat, boat, this massive cruise ship, stranded absolutely stranded in the Gulf of Mexico in the heat for four days. Now, if we don't think that sounds too horrible, think about this. The power for that boat handled all their refrigeration units to feed 4,000 people. When uh, refrigerators die and food is exposed to heat, rot happens. Electricity powers their uh, toilet systems, their showers. 
Um, the technology that went down inside of the boat kept the boat steady in the current. So when you go on cruise ships, it's not like you're out deep sea fishing in a boat like this. Uh, the technology kept the boat steady. But for four days, there was no power. And this massive cruise ship with 4,000 people just bobbed up and down with rotting food, no toilets, no air conditioner. This was a cruise ship from the opposite place of heaven. This was a bad news cruise ship. I've never been on a cruise ship. I will never go on one for every one cruise I've heard about going well. I've heard five that have been absolutely horrible, so miss me with all the cruise ship talk. That is not a vacation that I'd like to have. People were seen outside on the decks of this cruise ship for four days, sleeping outside, begging for water, as the news crews and helicopters were just flying around with their cameras uh, on these people. Could you imagine what kind of fingers and phrases were probably flying at these news crews as they were just with, in their air-conditioned helicopters waving at people with cameras? This is absolutely miserable. This ship that promised to bring so much fun this ship that on the outside looked like it was uh, such a fun thing to do. People spent money to do this, right? But without power, this thing was an absolute nightmare. This was an absolute nightmare. And the same can be said for trying to live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. The same can be said for trying to live a morally good life, for trying to obey the law of God without having the Spirit of God living inside of you. It can look really good on the outside, but around you can make people sick and nauseous and want to get far, far away from you. So how in the world do we know that the Spirit is at work in us? How do we know that the Spirit of work, uh, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is at work in us? Two ways we'll see through our text. We'll see the power of new life and the power to overcome evil. The power of new life and the power to overcome evil. We see the power of the Holy Spirit bringing new life in verses one through 10. Now, we're, we're a long way away into, into Acts. We're all the way at chapter 19. I wanna refresh our brains as it sets the stage for what's happening in Acts 19, because Acts 19 is wild. What in the world is taking place here? I want you to think back to Acts chapter 1-8. All right, Acts chapter 1-8. Look on the screen, it says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, y'all need to remember this, this phrase of Jesus here as we come to Acts 19. Because if you try to take Acts 19 out of context and just expect that this is how church happens, this is what the Christian life is, you're gonna be very confused. You get off on some rabbit trails uh, and you can get yourself into a, a theological problem there. But if you remember uh, Jesus, before he ascends, he said, my word's gonna go out, Holy Spirit's gonna come, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, so that's kind of one large coastal region together, and then to the ends of the earth. We see that happening all throughout the book of Acts. The book of Acts from that point is an unfolding of Christ's promises there. We see Jerusalem in Acts chapter two. So one through seven is the Jerusalem narrative. In Acts chapter two, if you remember, Pentecost happened. The Holy Spirit came down, fire, tongues, miracles, everything was breaking out just according to Christ's words. 
It's a fulfillment of what Christ said. Then you see from chapters 8 through 12, you see this exact same thing happening again. Judea and Samaria, the, the word of God goes out, the Holy Spirit comes down, tongues, miracles, all these extraordinary miracles start happening for that moment, all right? The gospel is going to Judea and Samaria. And then we come to chapter 19. We're in Ephesus here. Ephesus during the ancient time was considered the ends of the earth. So knowing that context, when we come to chapter 19, we expect things to get pretty wild. We expect things to get shaken up. Things are going to look different. This is because the gospel is going to the ends of the earth and the Holy Spirit is gonna shake everything up. And we see just that. As Paul was coming into Ephesus, he comes and he sees these men and on the outside, they appear like disciples, like the cruise ship. Things, things seem to be in its proper order. But as he meets with them, he notices something's off. So Paul, between verses one and two, notice something off and he starts a line of questioning. Look, look at the text here. It says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And he said, no, even having heard that there is Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So what's going on here? What's taking place is Paul, who is filled with the Spirit, who's meeting some people that seem like Christians on the outside, but he notices the absence of the, absence of the Spirit there. So he starts this line of questioning basically trying to get to the point of, have you heard of the gospel? Have you heard that the Messiah has come? Have you heard that the Spirit has been poured out? And their response to him proved that they had no clue that the Spirit had been poured out. They said, no, we hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit, meaning they had no clue that the Messiah had come, that sins had been paid for once and for all, that the Spirit has been poured out and that God is changing the world. These men being baptized in John were living in this expectant lifestyle of repentance, waiting for freedom to come. They were just being crushed by the law. They weren't believers yet. They were trying by their own efforts to obey the law, constantly looking forward for the Messiah. They were pursuing repentance and obedience and a lifestyle of Christianity without the Holy Spirit. That's very painful. Think about that. Without the Spirit's power in you, changing you, making you look more like Jesus, changing your affections from loving the things of this world to loving the things of Christ, you're only engaging in behavior modification. Every other religion, every other worldview has some element, has some element of behavior modification inside of it. Think about uh, think about New Year's resolutions for a moment, behavior modification. Uh, it has short-term results. I'm gonna try really hard today not to, think, uh, uh, not to think about sweets. I'm gonna try really hard not to eat sweets, not to think about them, and only have a little bit every once in a while. Well, what happens when you give in and finally eat sweets? What cycle starts to happen? Ah, you start to make excuses. I start to feel a little bit of shame. I'm kind of angry at myself. I ate that one little cookie. I better eat the whole sleeve of cookies because, I mean, what happens if, if, if they go stale? Nobody's going to want the cookies anyway. My wife doesn't even like those cookies. 
And then you typically end up worse off than when you first started. It's kind of like crash diets. Whenever you do crash diets, a lot of times you end up adding more weight to what you did when you started the crash diet to start with. So when you engage in repentance, when you engage in obedience, when you try to fulfill the law of God without the power of the Spirit, it ends up in a painful place. We know 2 Corinthians 13 says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You can't engage in pleasing God and being in relationship with God without the Holy Spirit in you. So knowing this, knowing that they were burdened by the weight of the law, Paul takes the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with them. The good news about Jesus is a phrase we use called the gospel. So he was sharing the gospel about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to them. And by God's grace, they believed, they were baptized, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, is this some sort of special uh, formula for receiving the Holy Spirit in a different way that the church uh, previously has an experience? Is this some sort of special outpouring where you get special miracle abilities and things like that? The answer of that, to that is no. This is not some special outpouring of the Spirit. We know that at the point that you have faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residency. He comes and lives in your heart. Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him... When you also, when you heard the word of truth, now this is Paul teaching this, the gospel of your salvation. When you heard this and you believed in him, you were sealed with the, Holy, sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So if this isn't some formulaic special secondary outpouring of the Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit lives in all of us equally at the moment we have faith, what in the world's happening here? Well, what was happening with these 12 men was a very special and unique outpouring of the Spirit in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and now Ephesus. Like all these other times of Pentecost, just like all those other times, confirming that the gospel is about to break out in this area with these Gentiles in this region, and it's gonna change the world. If you trace the people groups that are being saved, Jerusalem, that was to the Jews and to the Samaritans. In Samaria, that was to the Samaritans. They were kind of half Jews. They were super hated. And then you get to Ephesus. These are completely full-blown Gentiles that have no knowledge of the God of the Old Testament. They have no knowledge of the law. So this is God's spirit saying, I am going to work mightily in this people group also. And that's what you see happening in chapter 19. But for now, we've got a lot to learn from this section. Is this section about miraculous gifts? No. Is this section about some sort of uh, special miracles that are taking place? That's not what this is about. It contains it, but it's not what this is about. What this section is about is the confirming miracle that Gentiles are being saved according to all the promises of the Bible. Gentiles, non-Jews. Jews consider Gentiles to be dogs, not worthy of the promises of God. This miracle is saying that everyone is going, has the ability to be saved. 
Think back to God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 17. Go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. God tells Abraham in Genesis 17 that he's gonna be the father of many nations, plural. Not nation, singular. Not singular, Israel. This is the confirming culmination of Jesus' promise, promise that he is going to be the Messiah, not just for the Jews and the Israelites, but he's gonna be the savior and Lord of all. And his death is going to be the payment for sins for anyone, anyone who would trust in him. That might not sound very exciting, but this is our legacy, y'all. If you are not a Jew and you're here today worshiping Jesus, we are a product of Acts chapter 19. This is our legacy. We are the beneficiaries of the gospel message going forth to the ends of the world. Us non-Jews are heirs according to the promises of God. Think back to chapter three of Galatians. Paul says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ and you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You might be saying, well, what in the world is that promise? Well, go to Galatians 4. Paul says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, to pay a price, to bring us back, to redeem those who were under the law, just like these, uh, these disciples of John, they were under the law. Us, uh, those who don't trust in Christ, were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Dad, Pop. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what does the power of the spirit look like? What does the power of the spirit look like? It's bringing new life to you. It's applying all of the blessings of Christ to you personally. The Spirit dwells in your heart and dwells in your mind and reminds you that you are God's adopted child and that God is your Father. God relates to you as his child. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus covering you. He doesn't see your sins anymore. You are no longer under condemnation, but you are free for all of eternity. Church, do you get this? Do you get this at the core of your being? Because if you miss this, you miss everything that Christ has done for you. If you think you were under the law, if you think you've got to earn Christ's love, if you think you have to earn the love of the Father, you don't know his spirit. His spirit dwells in you and cries out in your heart to love God as your Father who loves you so much he moved heaven and earth to save you, who loves you so much he sent his son to die in your place so that you would never have to face that same Faint, do you get it? You've got to get this, y'all. The Holy Spirit unites you to Jesus in his life for perfect obedience. For perfect obedience. When's the last time somebody looked at you and called you perfectly obedient? 
God sees you as that. It's phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. But not only does he see your perfect obedience, but you're united to Christ in his resurrection. That means death has lost its sting over you. It means that death is not the end of your story, that there is eternity for you with Christ forever. This means that you're united to Christ, meaning that the King of kings and Lord of lords is your father. Nothing will snatch you out of his hand. No sin, no rebellion, no evil, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You are secure forever. We need to hear this message because this reminds us what the Bible tells us, renew the joy of my salvation. There was once a time when we heard this for the first time and we were so excited, we couldn't wait to tell the world about it. Have you lost this joy, church? I pray that God would restore that to us and me as well. Those who the Son sets free the song says are free indeed. Are you living like a blood-bought child of the King of Kings? Do you pray that way? Do you see your spouse, your kids, your friends, your vocation that way? This is life-changing for every aspect of your life. This is news worth shouting about. This is news worth getting excited about. This is why we see in this section and later to come in verse 17, when people get this for the first time, what do they do? They start shouting the name of Jesus. I'm not telling y'all to start sitting in here screaming, but what I am saying is that it immediately compels you to get outside of yourself. I've got to tell others about this. This is why I say regularly, we are beggars telling other beggars where we found bread. This news, once it grips you, you can't wait to tell other people about it. That's why in verse 17, once they heard about this, the name of Jesus was being praised and extolled. Dale Ralph Davis says, this is the good news that changes the cross from a piece of furniture to the throne of the great shepherd who soaked up the wrath of the sins for his flock. The power of the Holy Spirit brings this home to you in a real way that you cannot manufacture and it radically changes you from the inside out. Has this happened in your life, church? Have the bonds of trying harder, more self-improvement, have the bonds of living for yourself and the things of this world been broken in your life? You see, if you don't relate to God as his child, the only other way to live your life is living by some sort of exterior rule system that you can't even live up to, but you also hold your others up to. You are essentially the cruise ship in this scenario. The Holy Spirit powers faith and repentance in you. And apart from faith, there is no freedom to repent apart from the Spirit just the weight of the law condemning you. So if that's you today, I urge you to know the good news of being united to Christ as God's adopted child, stamped on your heart, stamped on your soul. And I pray that you would ask the Holy Spirit to save you and to move into you and to give you new life and to help you relate to God as his child, not some sort of hired worker, 
A lot of times people read texts like this and they're like, well, where are the miracles today? All these miracles are breaking forth. Where is that God today in his miracles? Look around the room. If you are saved, you are a product of a miracle. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. I was dead. I was not pursuing Christ and he moved heaven and earth to rattle my foundations and to save me. If you know Jesus, you are the product of a miracle because you didn't do this in and of yourself. Praise God. Praise God. So we ask, what does the power of the Spirit look like? We saw it brings new life, but now we turn and see how it also positively brings new life and positively casts out evil. It overcomes evil. We see this in verses 11 through 20. Here, there is a wild event taking place, no doubt. It's actually pretty funny. What's happening is the Spirit of God was moving so powerfully in this event that handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul were being carried to the sick and they were being healed. Demons were getting cast out. What in the world is that about? Well, God is showing that he can move from a tiny cloth from a tent maker all the way to the cross and the resurrection and massive miracles itself to show everybody that nothing in this world is going to stop him from saving people, that he is powerful, that he can use anything he wants at any time he wants to save. All right? So as you can imagine, when these healings were breaking out in Ephesus, uh, people saw this. And during this time, uh, there were very popular Jewish exorcists uh, and quote-unquote miracle workers, so they said, who saw this as an opportunity to make some money. So they saw this, and then they have this uh, really hilarious phrase. Um, they were trying to fake it. And verse 13, they say this, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It's hilarious that they would even use this phrase. They were just grasping at straws to be able to perform some kind of miracle to bring themselves fame and glory and honor. These charlatans here were the carnival cruise ship again. They just had no power. There was nothing in them. The Holy Spirit was not living in them. They were just a hot mess. Notice what the demon's response was. Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house. He didn't have to say this, but it's in there, naked and wounded, like absolutely humbled to the, I mean, real humbled, right? Just super, super humble. This is a crazy story. It is. It's true. It happened. And what in the world are we to learn from this? First of all, that evil really does exist. There is a spiritual realm that we cannot see and that there's e real evil seeking to uh, uh, sift us like wheat. We know that the lion prowls around like, a, the Satan prowls around like a lion seeking to devour us. We know that evil exists. This is saying that, but notice that at the name of Jesus, when there's power there, when the spirit is there, Satan and all of his gaggle of evil spirits, they tremble and cower. There is no darkness, there is no evil that has ever come the light of Christ, ever. Jesus is undefeated in battle, and we know that because of the resurrection. 
But notice what this reverse exorcism does. What's the result of this? Notice what happens in verse 7 and 18. And this became, so this, this massive event, this became known to the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So what does this event mean for us? Well, it's teaching us that God can use the strangest, the weirdest, the darkest, the oddest situations to bring about salvation. God can use and will use anything. You will not put anything in his path that will stop him from accomplishing his purposes. There's no plan B with God. These people see this reverse exorcism and then they turn to the Lord and they burn all of their stuff. They come confessing in faith and in repentance. They burn those books. And in today's current value, it's about $6 million worth of stuff that they burn. There was no place that God can't work mightily in, especially Ephesus. We're a, several thousand years removed away from Ephesus. Ephesus was a major metropolis and they were inundated with cult, magic, dark, evil. Uh, the Temple of Diana was about the size of Jaguar Stadium, and it was the center of life for everything that happened in Asia. Think about all the places to begin your ministry. Think about all the places to go to the ends of the earth. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I'd be like, man, not Ephesus. Let's at least, if we're getting started, let's build some momentum. Let's, let's get some things in place. Let's get some order. Let's get our infrastructure here. Then let's start chipping away at Ephesus from the sides. And maybe in the long run, we could finally somewhere get an inroad into Ephesus. Let's start off with some victories here, Jesus. It's not the case with the Holy Spirit. It's not the case here. Think about it. The same God who spoke the world into existence. The same spirit that hovered over the face of the deep. The same spirit that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave determined to go to the heart of the capital of this Asian providence and absolutely change the world. By human standards, this place and these people were too far gone for the gospel. They are too dark, they are too hardened, they are too bad, they are too corrupt, they are too whatever the case may be. It's too far gone, but it was not the case for the power of God's word through the Holy Spirit. What a testament this is to us. What a testament. There's nothing on heaven and earth. There is no darkness. There is no evil. There is nothing that can stop or thwart or prohibit God from accomplishing his task. There is no situation too dark. There is no sin too heinous. There is no sinner too far gone that the Spirit of God can't move in and absolutely overcome. The million dollar question then is, is this how you view the Holy Spirit? Is this how you view the Holy Spirit? Have you lived so long in this life that 
The hope for what God can do has been replaced by cynicism. Cynicism is contra gospel. Cynicism thinking that God can't move in that person or that situation or that thing. That is contra gospel. Think about what Jesus knew. Think about Jesus's expectation. My word is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. There's no cynicism in Jesus because he knew who he was sending. He knew the power of the Spirit. He knew what the Spirit will and would do and would continue to do for all of eternity. Jesus knew that heaven and earth would pass away, but what would stand? His word forever. It's only because of the power of the Spirit. Church, there's no situation that you are in. There is no person There is no geographical area. There is nothing in or around you that the Holy Spirit can't upend for the glory of Christ. And we've got a grand and great commission that calls us to take that good news to the lost. So what's stopping you? This isn't a call to overseas missions. It's called to living like Christ right now in your homes and your apartments with your roommates, in your classrooms, at the place of work, where you go, your vocation. This is that call to take this all around and with you as soon as you leave this place, even in this place. Who in your life needs to hear about the love of Jesus that you feel like they will just absolutely laugh and mock and shame you for? Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's someone in a position of power where you're putting everything on the line. God can move in that situation. The Holy Spirit can work through handkerchiefs, y'all. He can, but his ordinary means is through folks like me and you. Regular people who are flawed and messy, relying 100% on his power to make perfect in our weakness. That's what he's relying on. His word proclaimed boldly and lovingly. This reminds me of a story about Charles Spurgeon in 1857. He was a very famous preacher and he was going to the Crystal Palace and he was doing a sound check. Uh, The Crystal Palace held about 23,000 people or so. They didn't have uh, uh, AV systems. So he was going in there, he was thinking by himself, and he was uh, moving the podium in various places to maximize the acoustics in the room. And he thought he was by himself, and I've never heard Spurgeon speak, but he was English, I'm sure he had a pretty, pretty cool voice. And as he was doing his sound check, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which cometh to take away the sins of the world. He had no clue in the very next room, that there was a maintenance worker working on the building who had no clue sound check was about to take place, who's working and feels this message slam on him like a ton of bricks and he drops his tools and he runs home and prays and asks God for forgiveness and mercy and gave his life to Christ that moment. That man went on to live a life of obedience and faith and confessed about that story on his deathbed. 
Church, do you believe that God's word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce to the hearts of all of us through the power of the Spirit? Do you believe that God's word is in a good way dangerous, that you are playing with live ammunition when the Holy Spirit takes up this word? It goes forth and it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes its task. Do you believe that? Do you know if the power of the Spirit is working in your life? A great way to know a quick answer to that is, do you love the Jesus of this word? Do you worship that Jesus? Do you let him talk to you and communicate to you through this word? God's word is living and active. And the Holy Spirit makes these words leap off of the page and come into our hearts and change us. And it rattles our foundations. It changes our presuppositions. It changes everything about us and it convicts us of our sins, but it also builds us up through faith in Jesus. It's often said that the same sun melts wax and hardens clay. And so every time you open God's word, are you being transformed? This word is either going to break you down and make you more like Jesus, or this is going to harden you into more do-goodism. You can't have both. This is a call for all of us to be lovers of God's word, dependent 100% for God to send his spirit to make us love this word, praying that God would renew us through this word from the inside out. This is a call for all of us to seek the Lord and ask him to make us look more like Jesus from the inside out so that we can love others better and we can be secondary, now front row seat viewers of God changing the world around you. It's gotta start first with you. Thanks be to God that his word is living and active, that we are a work in progress and he's never gonna give up on us. Praise God. Let us pray. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light into our path. It keeps us on the narrow road heading for salvation. You keep a tight rein on your children. You discipline those you love. You keep us on the right track for you. And I pray, Father, that you would do that to our church as well. May we have constant love and obedience to you through your word, not to earn your love, but out of respect and love of what you've done for us. Would the transforming work that you do in us change us so that when people notice a difference, we don't pat ourselves on the back, but we point to you. God, rattle our, our foundations. Don't let us sleep at night. Burden us with people who need the gospel around us. Burden us. Don't let us rest until we've had a loving and honest and not obnoxious conversation with people who need to hear about you, Lord. Make us a people of prayer. Make us people dependent upon you. Use us, Jesus, mightily for your glory. Change Jacksonville. Change Jacksonville for your glory by using us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.